Well, good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can be uh, turning or swiping or whatever you do now to get to Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, and we'll meet there in just a few moments. While you're turning there or getting there, let me say again, it's good to see you here this morning. It's good to have a great crowd. Uh, it's a little bit dreary outside, but our numbers continue to grow, and we are so thankful for that. We've got uh, m- multiple people who are here this morning who have not been back for a while for uh, various reasons, including the virus and many things, so we are certainly glad to see you. We've got several visitors here as well, and we are glad to see you. This gives me good cause again to say that this is becoming the hottest ticket in town, although I don't think it's because of the preaching. Uh, But you need to get here early, get your seat so that you don't lose your spot to anybody. Uh, And as we were noting just as services were beginning, usually the front pew is open, although usually nobody will come sit there. So you're welcome to join Don anytime, and uh, there's always seats up here. But we want you to be here. We don't want to turn anybody away because you're worried about not having a place to sit. And if things continue and we continue to need to skip a a row or so to provide some distance, then we'll figure something out. But we want you to be here and we are certainly thankful that we can be together to worship God for just a few moments this morning. Especially glad to see such a good crowd on the day that the time changes. Uh, You know, that's usually a struggle. I've often said that I would be willing to cut my sermon short a few minutes and then we could all go sit out in the parking lot and wait for people who showed up late and then laugh and point at them. That might be one thing uh, that we could do. If you're like us in our house, uh, you know, you're always worried about the clocks. And it's interesting because we continue to remind you, even in 2021, that you need to change your clocks. But most of your clocks don't need changing anymore. And so if you're like us, at about 11.30 last night, we laid down in bed and we looked at each other and said, are we sure that our phones are going to change or do we need, Hannah said, what do we do? I said, well, we set an alarm for 6.30, 7.30 and 8.30 and one of them will get us up and hopefully we'll be here on time. Now in our house, I changed the stove and I changed the coffee pot. So we got those covered and if nothing else, then we know those would be correct when we got up this morning. Uh, But we're thankful that you're here, and that wasn't Don's problem either, by the way. He sent us a message and said he got caught at the train, uh, which a lot of you in Saudi days, you know how that goes. So we're thankful that he he made it here, and we're thankful for an opportunity to be together. I will only make one deal with you, though, before we begin, and that is, is now is not the time to catch up on your hour of sleep. But if you will not do that, and of course I have the all-seeing eye that can see from up here, I will write you a permission slip in the lobby that you can take home so that your spouse or your kids will leave you alone and you can get a good Sunday afternoon nap and get that hour back then. So I think we can maybe agree upon that and then things will be better and we'll get caught up on our sleep. If I ask you a question this morning as we begin, are you happy? Are you happy? Are you happy today, this morning? Are you happy in your life, every day of your life? We know that we're not happy every single moment. Surely things come and they go Troubles come and things tend to get us down, so we're not happy every single moment, but are you happy? You may say, well, preacher, the Bible doesn't really speak about happiness. I don't think that's a spiritual concept that we really need to consider, but as you can, if you can see it on the screen, the white lettering's a little light there, but the book of Philippians is actually written and talks a lot about happiness, and Paul says that we can and should, as Christians, as a child of God, be happy. Well, now let me take the question and shift it a little bit and ask you, are you content this morning? Are you content in your life? Because I would think we would say that those two words are different things. You can be happy and and maybe not be content. Or really that would work the, the opposite way, but, but if you, some people say that in order to be happy, you need to be content. Contentment comes first, and then you can be 
happy. But those things are, are not exactly similar. And so, yes, the book of Philippians addresses that. And while we're not going to talk about happiness, per se, this morning, we want to think for just a few moments about contentment. And as we've been through a year and continue to go through many things in our life that cause upheaval, that give us struggles and give us pause and, and cause us to think about our, our lives here upon this earth, but hopefully more so the home that we have waiting in heaven, we think about whether or not we are content. If you have your Bible there to Philippians chapter 4, let's read verses 11 and 12 as we begin. Philippians 4, 11 and 12. Paul would say, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to, be, both to abound and to suffer need. As you think about the word there, and, and we think about it sometimes in our, in our study, it helps us to consider, when you're looking at the Greek word there, that's the original word and the original language for content, it's this word that's on the screen here, austarkia. That's the word for content that you find in this passage. And it means to be entirely self-sufficient. And that paints a little bit of a different picture for us. Because what Paul is really trying to say there is if we are going to be content, that means that we are sufficient within ourselves. Self-sufficient. Adequate. We don't need any assistance. Hence, we are content. I heard one preacher describe it this way, that maybe it's inner peace or satisfaction with the things that are going on in our lives. In general, its general idea is independence from outside circumstances. Now, we live a life where we have family, we have friends, we probably have a job, or at least once had a job. We've got uh, things that are going on, the politics that are going on around us, the world around us. All these things, all these outside circumstances are a part of our lives. There are things that affect us, but if we think about being content, as Paul is saying we should be content, that he was content, then maybe the idea is that we are independent from outside circumstances. You know, we sometimes say that if you want to learn about a definition, you, you look it up in the dictionary and somebody's picture is there. You know, maybe you have somebody you say, well, if I think of patience, I think of, you know, my grandmother or my mother or somebody. If you looked up patience, you'd find their picture there. I think if we looked up contentment, we would find the Apostle Paul's picture there. He personified the idea of contentment. Paul would say, essentially, he could face anything anything. When you read the book of Philippians, you have to keep in mind the context. The context is that Paul is in jail. He's in jail. Now he's maybe a little more under house arrest than actually in shackles in prison, but he is under confinement. And yet he is writing these words. He is writing these epistles and encouraging people to be content. He's essentially saying you can face anything. He said he could face anything in that he could have nothing or he could have everything. It doesn't make a difference. Nothing or everything. It doesn't make a difference. He could face all things and still have contentment because he has Christ in his life. And that's exactly, of course, the main thrust of our idea this morning. We can be content if we're content in Christ. But let's go a little further. Let's first notice that when we think about contentment, it can be viewed First of all, negatively. Now, that's not what we're going to talk about, that we want to think about in the positive light, but it can be viewed in a negative sense. And let's think about a few examples. Number one, to live in sin. 
Do you remember in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul would say, What shall we say then? That's that rhetorical question that he sometimes says. What shall we say then? You know what's coming. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I don't know what version you have in front of you, but you'll see any form of certainly not. God forbid. By no means. No way is what he's saying. Shall we continue sinning so that we can have more grace? God forbid. That's not the idea. When he says, what shall we say then? He knows. You know what's coming. It's this type of rhetorical question. So when we think about contentment, it can be viewed in a negative sense. We don't need to be content in our sin. Many people in the world live this way. They say, well, I'm not worried about God. I don't think about Christ. I'm just content to be me and do what I want to do. They're content. That's what we want to be. But they're content in their sin. Do you know any Christians that are that way? Have you ever lived that way from time to time, just content to be in your sin? You see, most people today would say, let me be who I want to be. Let me be me. There's a bit of independence to that. But we don't need to be content in our sin. Number two, when we think about contentment, we don't be, need to be content to do nothing for Christ. Paul would write in Titus chapter 2 in verse 14, as he's writing the letter, this epistle, he says, Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us and that we might be prepared, ready, zealous for good works. The people of God, the followers of Christ, are to be zealous for good works. Not content to sit back and do nothing. You see, maybe this is the problem in the United States today. And probably in the world to some extent. We are content to sit back and let others do the work. Many people, even in a year when we've talked about church attendance, that you need to come worship attendance and be here for worship, it's still not that you come and just sit there and check the box and then go home. But many people are content to sit back and do nothing for Christ. That's not the idea that Paul is painting here. We need to remember that, yes, we need to be content, but not in this way. What about number three? We don't need to be content with ourselves. Notice Philippians, but this time chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 12. Paul says, not that I already have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. I continue. I have to fight. I am not content just to be where I am. And so when we think about being content, yes, we need to be content. But not just with ourselves, where we are. He talks about in verse 13, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. We have to be content, but not just with ourselves the way that we are. And sometimes we get so caught up in, in learning a new skill or a new trade or we get so caught up in improving ourselves and our health and wanting to lose a little bit of weight. And maybe those things are fine and okay. But sometimes we're just content to be the Christian that we are. We're content to be ourselves and to not press on. Not to say, you know what, I know that I'm, I need to continue. I need to keep growing. The Bible speaks about that in numerous places. I cannot stay where I am, because if I stay in one spot, chances are good I'm really falling back. Press on. Keep going. Keep forcing your way ahead. Contentment can be viewed negatively. But notice as well that contentment can be viewed positively. 
That's what we're talking about here. That's what Paul is emphasizing in this particular passage. That contentment can be viewed positively as well. First of all, that you could, not that you are, you might at one point, but that you could live in prosperity and remain faithful to God. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's not living in prosperity, but he has. And actually, in the writing here in Philippians chapter 4, if you know your history, your Bible history, and you do a little background, at times he is talking about those who would be taking up a collection for him, providing for him. Not that he would become number one on the Forbes list of the richest people in the world at that time, but they are trying to support him and encourage him through giving him things that he could use, that he might need. He says, I could live in prosperity and I can remain faithful to God. So that's a positive sense. But also, in a positive sense, he says, I could live abased and I would remain faithful to God. I could be full. I could be hungry. I could have everything. I could have nothing. But I'm going to be content. Think about to live without. That's what the word abased means there. To live abased, to live without. To live without money. To live without our youth. We might say to grow old gracefully and because our youth is not always going to be around. That's going to leave us. Our physical health. We think about Paul's thorn in the flesh that he speaks of in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I can live without my health. I can live without the praise or approval of others. I can live without having it my own way. Think about the person that you know that you might say is the most content. For just a second, think, think in your mind, who is the person that you might list as being the most content? Is that person the richest person you know? Is that person the healthiest person that you know in their body in a physical sense chances are good they may not be or they're they're probably not all those things and many more you see Paul says I can live in prosperity and I'll remain faithful to God I can live a base I can live without money I can live without the physical things and I'm going to remain faithful to God we ask you the question sometimes did you mean it when you sang it just a few moments ago anywhere is home let come and go what may. That's a struggle sometimes here upon this earth. But are we truly content, not in the negative sense, with these things that we should leave behind, that we should press on, but are we content in the positive sense? Well, before we give you the secret that Paul figured out, let's think for just a moment about some evidences of discontentment. Don't cheat and get ahead. Hold on. There we go. Three evidences of discontentment. Number one, complaining. How do you know that you are discontented in your life? We can usually see it in people. You usually talk to someone, you say, boy, they are truly unhappy. They are not content with anything. Does this describe you? Let's give you a few examples. Number one, complaining in your life. We might say murmuring. We might say fretting about things. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 10. Paul is giving some examples to these Corinthian brethren. He's giving some Old Testament examples. You see, we know that he would say that what sort of things were written aforetime were written for our learning. We can go back and look at Moses and Abraham and Joshua and so many people and learn examples. So in 1 Corinthians 10, he's doing the same thing. And he says, now these, now these things, and he's talking about the Old Testament examples, their fathers, now these things become our examples to the intent, notice in verse number 6, if you turn there, to the intent that we should not. The first thing he's going to do is say, give you some examples of some things we shouldn't do that they did. And number 10, verse number 10, complaining, just as they complained, as some of them complained. 
You complain? Well, we all complain from time to time. But is that your manner of life? Because sometimes we give examples and we say that when you come to services on Sunday, you can't put your Christian hat on, go home and take it off and hang it up, and then go to your regular week, your work week, and, and not profess, you know, not, not be a Christian. Can't do that. And we say sometimes that when you try to do that, and somebody knows that you attend the Saudi Church of Christ or, or some congregation, and then you do other things that aren't congruent with that, they've got a problem. I would suggest for your thinking this morning that one of those things, it's not just dirty jokes, it's not just four-letter words, it's, just, it's not just things like that, but it could be complaining. When you're a person who is constantly complaining or worrying or fretting about things, people are going to look at you and say, well, if that's what a Christian does, I don't want to be a part of that. Maybe you're struggling with contentment. It's okay. Paul's going to give us the secret. We'll get there in a moment. But you can't be a person who complains and worries and frets about things. And that, that carries us to our next point. We've already thrown it up there, but anxiety. If you're struggling with anxiety, let me say, first of all, people struggle with anxiety. I, I don't mean to make light of it in any way. I don't mean to tell you this morning that you can open up your Bible and read a chapter of the Bible and you should just perfectly be fine. I would also submit for your thinking. I've had an opportunity lately to be taking some, some counseling classes. And we've talked extensively in some of those classes about medication. People who have diabetes need medication. Sometimes people who struggle with mental illnesses or with things like that or anxiety need medication. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting help. You can't just read a verse and poof, it all go away. But I also think the message of Paul by way of the Holy Spirit and the message of God of the Bible is that we don't need to be anxious. You know Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. Be, but everything in prayer. Once again, I don't think you can open up your Bible, read three verses and say a prayer to just all go away. But Paul says, be anxious for nothing. If you're struggling with some anxiety, maybe you need some help. Maybe you need to go see someone. Maybe you need to talk to a counselor, a trained therapist who can help you. Maybe medication is needed. Maybe, maybe it's a combination of all these things. But Paul does say that we shouldn't be anxious. I don't know what that looks like for you. You don't know what that looks like for me. But we should live every day striving to not be anxious. Because when we're anxious about things, we have a problem probably with discontentment in our life. And we need to be leaning more towards the contentment that Paul is preaching here and sharing that God wants us to have. And again, that looks like some different things. And in connection with that, the third point is fear. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 7, continuing on in that same passage, he says, Be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We don't have to fear the things of this world. I'll interject here just real briefly. This has been a struggle of mine in a thought kind of way of what to share with you and, and with others during this time of a pandemic. Because we have certainly taken precautions and we need to be careful. But we can't live our lives in fear and be so afraid that we're not willing to even to get out at all or to, to share with others. You see, if we simply stayed locked down constantly, all of us, not just specific people, but all of us, we'd never have an opportunity to, to share in the church. We'd never have an opportunity to share the gospel. There is a healthy amount of fear. The example I always use is, is when I say you don't need to be fearful, I don't at the same time go tell my kids just to play in the road. We have to have a healthy amount of fear and respect for the world around us, including illnesses and viruses and things. 
But we can't be so afraid of dying that we choose not to live and to live for Christ. We need to allow the peace of God to rule in our hearts. And it's the peace of God that surpasses all of our understanding. To rule in our hearts and minds. That we need to not be fearful. And if we're struggling with complaining, with anxiety and fear, let me just say one more time, it's not always clean and, and, and cookie cutter clean that we can just say that's it and be done. In these counseling classes, it's a lot of ministers in there. We've talked about that some, some of our teachers have said, you know, when I was a minister, I didn't know what else to do but to read a few verses and, and have a prayer and send them on their way. That doesn't always work for some people. Maybe you need to go a little bit further and talk with someone and, and get some help. That's fine. But God certainly doesn't want us to be so discontent, contented with this world, that we live in anxiety and fear and in complaining. So what's the secret? What's the secret, Paul? Well, I would suggest for your thinking this morning that there are really three basic elements of the secret of contentment. Number one, a realization that nothing of an earthly nature either lasts or satisfies. Nothing of an earthly nature either lasts or satisfies. The wise man would write in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse number 8, all things are full of weariness. And we know we're talking about someone who had lots of things. All things are full of weariness. That's the, the things here upon this earth, the things of the world. What about 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18? 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. There are several words that are used there. Paul talks about our outward man is perishing. Our light affliction is but momentary. He uses the word temporary. We talk about, he would speak in the letter to the Corinthians about our bodies being a tent. Something that can be taken down. Something that, that rots and that will fade away eventually. If we're struggling with these things, we need to remember, if we're struggling with being contented in our life, we need to remember that all the things around us neither last nor will satisfy us. Our golf clubs, our bass boat, our house, our furniture, our decorations, our clothes, all the things that we think sometimes Bring us happiness and contentment. And as hard as it is, I'll go a step further. Even our friends and family. We put so much stock into our friends and family sometimes, and guess what? They leave us. We may be left behind by those who pass away before us. And we struggle with that. But nothing here on this earth is going to last, and it will not satisfy us in the same way that God can. When we think about this realization, we have to. Paul writes about it to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know, it's one of those phrases that we sometimes get confused. 1 Timothy 6, 7. Sometimes you hear your grandmother or your grandparents say something. You say, I don't think that's in the Bible, but they attribute it to the Bible. You know, this is one of those. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 7, where Paul says, we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything with us. You ever heard anybody say that? It's not just a wise saying of your grandfather or your mom or your dad. It's in the Bible. It's from the Holy Spirit. You brought nothing in, you can't take anything with you. If you're struggling with contentment, then we need to remember that all of this is going to fade away and it neither lasts nor satisfies. That's why we talked a couple of weeks ago. We said, this is no good to us. As a family, as a church, this stuff is no good to us. It's each other. And even then, as we said a moment ago, it fades away. People pass away. We need to be content, but be content in Christ. Number two, a confidence 
in the wise and loving providence of God. What's the secret to contentment, Paul? He would say, as someone who had everything and was persecuting people, actually hauling them off to prison was the way he was living. He comes to know Jesus. He's baptized for the remission of his sins. He has an opportunity to become a Christian. And yet here he is then with nothing. He's traveling. He's given up his profession. He's struggling. He's being beaten. He's being put in prison. He's doing without. And he says, through all of those things, I realize that I can put my trust in the providence of God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him, to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. When we think about serving God, we have to have confidence in His wise and loving providence. Think about Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. That's often quoted. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God. By the way, that's the same Apostle Paul who's writing here, who's in prison from time to time. We will use that verse and act like when things are going to go great, my life's going to be good all the time. God's going to take care of me. It's not what he says when he means contentment. That's not what he always means when he means God will provide. Sometimes that provision is in the things we don't like. And it's a struggle for us. We're going to come back to that in just a moment as we conclude our lesson. But we have to remember that. Because when Paul is saying he has learned to be content, it is in all things. For such a time as this, perhaps, as even Paul would write in the book of Philemon, perhaps for this purpose, we never know. But we must be reminded that we have to trust in God's providence. We have to have confidence in that. Whether we have a good amount of things, enough money, enough food, enough clothes, or whether we're struggling, whether we're sad and sorrowful because we've lost a loved one, we should know that God's providence will take care. And then number three, the fact that one actually has God in his life. I don't know how people do it. I'm just going to be honest. And I was... I was Blessed, we sometimes say. I'm, I was thankful enough to what we say be raised in the church. I've always been attending services of the Lord's church. I'm thankful my parents always took me. Thankful to have known that. But I don't know how people do it. What, what do they put their hope in? What do they think is coming when this life is over? We can have contentment because there is actually a God in heaven who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and He loves me. And He loves you and He loves the world. We think about the words of John in 2 John in verse 9. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. You can pillow your head at night. You can go to work. You can get up every day with confidence knowing that there is a God in heaven who rules in the affairs of men and He loves you and wants you to have a home in heaven. A person who has God in their life can have contentment. That's the secret. That's part of the secret, to know that God is there, that He has made these promises and He will take care of us. I don't know how people do it. I just don't understand how they would go through life with nothing on the horizon, with, with thinking that there's nothing out there. A person who has God in his life, that fact that we can know can help us be content. Here's the big final thought. Here's the last thing I'd like to leave you with. Contentment does not come by accident. 
Contentment does not come by accident. Paul, Paul, did, Paul didn't just go through life and one day stumble and go, oh, look, there's contentment. I, I'm at peace now. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. It didn't just happen. It came by sheer will in his life. That in the low times, in the bad times, he continued to look to God. It doesn't come by accident. Three things for you real quick. Number one, it comes by discipline sometimes. We think about Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. The Hebrew writer says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Kids, you got that right? We were kids once we know that. No chastening seems joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. One way that contentment comes is by discipline. And it hurts. And we do things that are dumb and they're wrong and they cause us pain and sorrow. But we learn. We do better. And when we do better, then we learn to be content because we've been in the pain and sorrow. Number two, trust. We think about 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12. Paul would write to Timothy and say, For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And you know the rest. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. We sing it quite often. You see, contentment doesn't come by accident. It comes by discipline. It comes by trust. And number three, it comes by the veracity of God's promises. We read time and time again. We have been thankful in our Wednesday night Bible class. We'd love to have you join us then as well. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock in our adult Bible class, we've been studying the prophets. And we look at the fact that in the Old Testament, God time and time again says, this is what's coming, this is what's going to happen, and it does. The truthfulness, the surety, the veracity of God's promises means that we can learn to be content. Because first and foremost, when He says there's a home in heaven waiting, there's a home in heaven waiting. You can take it to the bank. You can rely upon that. And it will give us peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding when we know that. Paul didn't just stumble into contentment. It came by will. It came by work. It came by effort through the struggles of this life. So what about you? What about your life? Do you have contentment? Or is it a struggle for you? Because contentment does, come, does not come by accident. Contentment comes by doing the will of the Lord, continually disciplining ourselves by it. So I ask again this morning, are you happy? It's an important question. Are you content? If not, why not? As we conclude our lesson this morning, the first thing that could be a problem is that you're not a child of God. We usually put on the screen here, God's simple plan of salvation. Do you want to know how to be content in this world? The first step is to become a Christian. Rely fully upon the promises of God. You do that by hearing the Word of God, even as we've done this morning. Believing that Word, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, making that confession before an audience such as this, even this morning, and then repenting of your sins. As you turn away from your sin and you turn towards Christ, you're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins. It's nothing that the eldership here does or the preacher does, but it's the blood of Christ that takes away your sins. And it's the Lord that adds you to His church. And you can begin to live faithfully. He'll add you to His church. You can begin to live faithfully and you can begin to enjoy the great blessings. One of those is contentment. Another one is having a body of believers, a church family that will love you, care for you, pray with you, and for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to become gospel obedient, becoming a child of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you've done that in times past, 
but you've wandered away. You've struggled in this life. You have a problem with being content. Maybe that's your struggle this morning. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's something else in your life that you would like to come forward. One of our elders will be here at the front to pray with you and for you. We're thankful for their encouragement. It could be contentment. It could be some other type of sin. But we're thankful for an opportunity to pray with you and for you. Even now as we stand together and as we sing.